Thank you, EJ, for leading us in worship. Thank you, choir. I just wanted to say amen. I'm one of those, so amen. Thank you for that. Today, I'm in a, continuing in a series that I'm just entitling Reality. Kind of a reality check. Uh, in, in each of these topics, I consider just a, a reality check on our faith, our religion even. And today is the, the idea is he is Lord, not just our partner. Jesus is Lord, not just our partner. You can turn to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. But what, what I'm going to, how I'm framing this is simply that everyone has a story. And we tell ourselves stories. Why, I, I tell myself a story uh, about who I am as a citizen of this country. And my story is wrapped up in the story that I've learned throughout my, my elementary school years, the story of the patriots who fought for our freedom, and, and, and that became part of my story, and I'm a part of that. I have a family story, and it's a, it's a really remarkable story. I have a story that I've passed on to my children that begins with what they saw in me. There's, we're part of this story, and sometimes we tell ourselves stories about other people and our relationships with them that aren't true. And, and we live in a false story, and it ruins relationship. It, it, it destroys them. We can tell ourselves false stories about other people. They look different, and therefore I should suspect them. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. And those stories are destructive. And you know what? We tell ourselves stories about Jesus and what Jesus means to us. Now, we, we all use the, hear the same stories out of the Scripture, but we, we adjust them, and we have narratives about who Jesus is. And in each narrative, I promise you, we'd say, no, Jesus is very meaningful. But meaningful is not enough. Here's an example of how, at Jesus' own time, the Pharisees had a story that they told, and, and Jesus corrected their story, and it didn't go over very well. Here's how that went down. It's from Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning with verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? What is your story about the son, about the Christ? And they, they replied, very succinct, the son of David. Now, I'm going to stop there. When they said son of David, they had a particular storyline. Because to David was promised the kingship and that there would always be somebody on the throne of Israel that would be a descendant of David. And David was a liberator and a conqueror. And they were living in Roman oppression that by the Roman military, and they identified with this story that the son of David is going to come and overthrow those people, and then we'll be back in power. That's my story, the son of David story. And what's interesting about that is as long as the son of David is a political leader, a political figure, that means he's subject to influences. He's subject to the process of politics and advisors and there's ways of getting the king to be on your side, to get him to do what you want. And they saw themselves as maintaining control 
if the son of David takes that political role? Well, Jesus upended their story a little bit. He says, then how is it, verse 43, then how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him, who is his son, Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. If David then calls him Lord, how can he be the son? The difference there was the story of the Lord of the universe who was free to do what he wants and free to disappoint even his own people to not fit into your story, your expectation. The Lord is free and he can do what he wants. And it's a little bit less predictable than the son of David's story. And so he said, I, your story is inadequate. You have the Christ reduced down to something that's going to benefit you. And the truth is, the son of David is the Lord who is free to do what he wants or not do what you want and not fulfill your expectation. And of course, Jesus was setting them up so that he himself might fulfill that role of a new kind of king that would not fit into their expectations and paid the ultimate price for they crucified him. The reply was nobody knew what to say because they didn't like it very much. That's usually what happens. And so we have stories that we tell about Jesus of our own, that in every one of them, Jesus is meaningful, but that's not enough. It's a story, and the first story I might uh, put it in these terms, I love Jesus, and also let me tell you about my cat, Wilma. You don't know about my cat, Wilma? Wilma and I have an understanding. I get to be the alpha male, and she gets treats every time she begs. It's a deal we have. I get to walk through the house, and she gets out of my way, but when it comes time to get treats, I have to give her treats. That's, we have a contract. And Wilma is meaningful more to my wife than me, but meaningful to us, Wilma's just part of the family. Just meaningful. I love Wilma. Yeah. Um, and it's love, in a sense. It's maybe more sentiment, because Wilma does not have any ownership. Wilma does not have any influence in our decision-making. She is meaningful. Oh, we wouldn't want to be without Wilma. One of us wouldn't want to be without Wilma. And, and therefore, we wouldn't want to be without Wilma. You're married, you understand this. My code word's there. Yeah. And many people love Jesus like that. Oh, yeah, we love him. We wouldn't want to be without Jesus. But Jesus does not bear very much influence in your decision-making. When was the last time you made a decision where you said, how would God have me make this decision? When was the last time you made a decision that wasn't about, well, what's the best thing for our long-term finances? What would be the best thing for our house? What would be... When was the last time you asked the question, what would God have us do with this purchase, with that choice? I'm talking to me. And has your love for Jesus become similar to your love for Wilma the cat? Or your pet? Has Jesus been reduced down to a pet status so meaningful you wouldn't want to be without it, but they do not bear influence. They occupy your time, but they don't bear influence on your decision-making. 
You can always tell when someone has a pet mentality about their love for Jesus, a sentiment, because church then is uh, especially important on holidays. Oh yeah, we go to church and it's important. Christmas, Easter, and other, and weddings. Weddings, oh yes, got to be at church. And generally it's a good thing, but it has to fit into my schedule. It has to be convenient because church, like Jesus, doesn't really influence how I organize my life. It's much more like my cat Wilma. That's not your story, I'm sure of it, because this is not a holiday and here you are. So I know it's not your story, but is it possible that all of us from time to time might denigrate our love for Jesus down to a pet level? But it's not your consistent story. There's another story, and that is, I love Jesus, but he's far away. It sure would be nice to see him again. A distant, irrelevant figurehead. Oh, he's Jesus. Yeah, he's Lord. He's all of that. But he's so distant that he's irrelevant. It doesn't make a difference, really, in what I do, because he's distant. I believe, but it doesn't matter. And, and I've known people who were in the middle of an affair who believed in Jesus. And not like a pet, but this distant figurehead that was so far away that there'd be no consequence to how I live. But I believe. I believe that. Cheating, whatever it is, it does, doesn't really matter. One time, we were talking about the return of Christ with a group of people. And there was multi-generations of family there. I'm certainly not going to tell you who it is or anything like that. And all of a sudden, the mother, reassuring her children, said, it's not something you have to worry about in your lifetime. Oh, my. That's not how I see the world shaping up. I'm seeing apocalyptic persecution. I'm seeing, and, and this has nothing to do with the eclipse. I'm not a, a believer in, in that sort of thing. I believe that there will be a sign in the sky. That's when Jesus returns, and Jesus did not return, okay? But I believe that the time is more ripe now, and more than that, that every generation of Christians has been called to live ready for Christ's return. It's the only way that our life makes sense, that we are living ready for Christ's return. And to say, oh, that's so far off in the distance, you don't have to worry about in your lifetime, essentially creates believers who regard Jesus and their love for Jesus as this distant, long-distance affair. We write letters, go to church, that is, and every so often we get something back, but it's a distant affair. And maybe... Your love for Jesus has come down to, it's a long distance away. Everything is. So it kind of doesn't make a difference what I do now. I believe in Jesus, and in the end, that's what's going to count. But he's distant. He's not really an active agent in the world today, so it doesn't make a difference what I cho choose to do. I love him, but it's a distance relationship. Those are very convenient uh, but not very fulfilling. And you can always tell because when somebody believes in Jesus, loves Jesus as this long distance, this distant figurehead, church is not worth much money. Church is not worth that much, and her mission is not terribly important because, you know, just getting this religious message out, getting 
people ready for when Christ returns. Well, that's so far off. So the church becomes irrelevant. And not much more of my time than on Sunday morning is going to be devoted to something that that's distant love. I love Jesus from a distance. Could be your story from time to time. That could be your story. But again, here you are, so it's not likely your story today. Here's another story that people tell themselves. I, I love Jesus, and it's so nice to be around someone who doesn't judge me. Jesus never judges me. He never makes me feel bad. He never makes me feel guilty about anything. And I'm not a fear monger. I'm not a guilt-producing type preacher. I don't believe in guilt as a real means of spiritual formation or transformation. But many of us love Jesus just because, well, he's not judgmental. I always feel comfortable around Jesus because he just likes me. He just likes me. Kind of like your grandmother. Just likes you. You could be a rat. <laughs> She's going to like you. So you go to grandmother's house a lot. I get that, you know. And Jesus is like that, you know. You can always tell because someone who has a love for Jesus because he never judges you and that mentality also usually has that expectation of church. I go to church, and church is supposed to make me feel better. The world makes me feel bad, true. And at church, I just want to feel better. And it's all about feeling better. And, if, and if, my goodness, if the church doesn't make me feel good about myself, and the church is certainly not demonstrating Christ-likeness, as I am sometimes told, you're not very Christ-like, why? You know, I don't feel Christ here anymore, probably. just don't feel as good as what you thought Jesus is supposed to make you feel. That's a story we might tell ourselves about Jesus. He's just not going to judge me. You get the point. I'm not going to belabor it. Here's another story that we like. I love Jesus because he blesses me better than anything else. He's the blessing box in my prayer nook. Kind of like for me it would be, I would have said refrigerator in my prayer kitchen because the refrigerator blesses me. And Jesus is like that. He's a blessing box. And, you know, I have problems. I need something. So I pray, and it's Jesus' job to answer that prayer. And, I, and that's my faith, is God answered my prayer. God did this for me. God did that for me. Because Jesus is the blessing box. He blesses me better than anything else I know. Blesses me better than the United States government. Blesses me better than any of those other ways of believing. I, Jesus is the best blessing box. And what happens if something comes along? in your life and Jesus doesn't answer your prayer I know what happens my story of Jesus unravels and I'm disappointed in my faith and it doesn't work anymore because I had a false story one month I, I'm, I'm getting to the real story I, I see the clock I gotta get there I love Jesus because he helps my life I just wouldn't want to be without him you know how do people live without Jesus in their life he helps you through the tough time. And it's all true. Wouldn't want to be without him. But he's ultimately becomes a servant of my dreams. A servant of my dreams. He's there to help me. That makes him a servant of my dreams. Here's my idea of how life is supposed to be, which is generally pretty attractive. And Jesus is supposed to help me through the rough times so I can achieve that. He's a servant to my dreams. He does help us. 
And so the church exists to contribute to my life. You can always tell someone who has that because the church doesn't call you to service and sacrifice. It's there to help you through your life. And if the church doesn't, well, you know, Jesus isn't there anymore. None of those stories really focus on the fact that Jesus is Lord and he's absolutely free to do what he wants and I am called to serve him. But there is a story that's told in the scripture. It was a hymn. You can almost see it. It's in Philippians chapter 2. And in this hymn, as it's called, though they didn't necessarily sing it, they may very well have chanted it, but there's a rhythm and a flow that you can almost see. It, it comes through even in the English translations about who Jesus really is. And it's Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 11. They have it on the screen. Who being in very nature God did not consider, get a load of this, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead he made himself nothing. And he took on the very nature of a servant. And being found in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, death on a cross. He identified, therefore, with the criminals. Equality with God. He didn't grasp it and say, I'm not going to give this up for them. He humbled himself, being found in the appearance of a man, and he humbled himself even further and became identified with a criminal for us. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess on, uh, on the earth and under, where, where are I there? In heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the story. It doesn't pin Jesus into being my blessing box. He's not just my helper through life. He's not just the one who makes me feel good, is non-judgmental. He is forgiving, but he's not, not, you know, he does have some standards. So here we find Jesus, first of all, the supreme person. He being equal to God, though he doesn't grasp it, but that's who he is. He is the supreme person. He is Lord because that's who he is by nature. And he made the supreme sacrifice. He becomes in the appearance of a man that's the incarnation and being found as a servant, as the appearance of a man, he humbles up further and identified with the worst of us and the worst in us so that he had to be crucified, the worst form of public execution for a crime. He humbled himself. That's our story. He made the supreme sacrifice. If I'm going to follow somebody, I'm going to follow the one who makes the supreme sacrifice. He is Lord because he made the supreme sacrifice. And he was given then the supreme office and title that at the name of Jesus in heaven and earth, he was given by God the supreme title of Lord. That means he is the master. He owns it. You've got it. He owns it. You're borrowing it now. And in order to follow him, 
Jesus said, he who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. We transfer the ownership of our life to this one who owns it anyway. He is Lord, and then he directs his affairs, and we become his servants and stewards. And it's the ultimate question that is supremely answered, who is Jesus? And one day, all creation will get it right, but it may be too late. One day, in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, they will all say, he is Lord, owner, master, he has it all. That's my story, and I am his servant, whether it goes well for me or not whether I face persecution or not, whether the blessings come or whether the blessings are taken away, whether the storms of the hurricane take away everything I have, I am still his, he is Lord, I cannot be other because that's my story and not another story. Jillian. Kegley's dad is a pastor up in northern Indiana, and they, they talk about, and this is so helpful to me, they talk to the congregation, so you're, you may be a believer, but God is calling you to be a follower. And you may be following him, but God is calling you to be a disciple, someone who passes on the faith. And why would I be more than a believer? Because he is Lord. Why would I, as a personal follower of Jesus, now become someone who helps others follow, be a disciple? Why would I do that? There's one question that must be answered. Is he Lord? That's our story. We're sticking with it. And that's what the church is for. Is that your story? Or have you been harboring another story? Stand with me as we pray. And Father, I, I'm sorry for those times that I, that any of us, harbored a false story and acted accordingly. And I pray that we'd return to the true story. And we pray that we would do it quickly. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.